Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to the show, everyone. My name is Amber Furman, and this is episode 22 of the More Than Corporate podcast. So today on the show, I have a really exciting interview with Ken Roberts. Ken is the owner and CEO of Top Nutrition and Performance, an endurance sports performance center located in Belleville, Illinois. He created the facility after retiring from the U.S. Marine Corps. He retired in 2017 to pursue his master's degree and internship to become a registered dietitian. During his internship, Ken competed in Toughest Mudder Chicago, four Ironman 70.3, a few half marathons several small races, and Ironman Louisville. He did this all while coaching others, completing grad school, and a demanding dietetic internship. In 2019, Ken opened up his facility and began coaching full-time. He is an elite trainer and personal trainer, track and field coach, triathlon coach, and licensed dietitian. His classes include strength training, endurance coaching, and martial arts classes. He's happily married to his wife, Dawn, a retired U.S. Air Force musician, and they have three children. As you can tell from the little bit that I just told you about Ken, he pushes the limits with everything that he does. And I saw that in real life when I met him in 2016 while I was in the pit crew for Corey Drumright at the World's Toughest Mudder. Corey ran that race with Ken, and I got to know Ken and his wife, Dawn, and um, kind of meet them at a time in my life where I was learning how to get out of my comfort zone and really understanding how to push the boundaries. So it was a perfect time for us to meet. And I've watched him continue to just crush getting out and making a difference in other people's lives. And what he has been through in his life has such a big impact in why he's able to now take that and turn it into a way to provide value and service to others in the sports and performance arena. Before we get into Ken's podcast, I just want to take a minute to again say thank you to everybody who has listened and reached out and um, provided any type of feedback on the show. I'm really looking forward to being able to connect a little bit more with the people who are listening to the show. One of the best ways to do that is to join the Facebook community that we've set up, the More Than Corporate community. So if you want to head over to Facebook and join that community, that's a great way to interact. However, I'd also really like to be able to have some one-on-one conversations with listeners of the show. So what I'm going to do is if you want to have a one-on-one conversation with me, short 15 to 20 minute conversation to really get to know each other and build a connection, I'm going to post a calendar link in the show notes and feel free to go ahead and book a time for a short call. I'm really, really looking forward to connecting with you all. And with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into Ken's interview. Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, I'm super excited for you to share your story and some of the things that you've learned. So for those of you who don't know, Ken has a very diverse background um, from military and obstacle course racing and nutrition. Um, Probably one of the biggest memories that I have is from World's Toughest Mudder. We had the best food on the entire course. I felt like it was pretty fantastic. So nutrition background, fitness background, and um, 
business owner. So I'm really excited for him to share some of his journey with you guys. So what I'd like to do is just kind of start with what it was like for you growing up. Take me back to like small young Ken and what it was like for you growing up. Oh, I was, uh, well, try not to swear. So let's say, uh, I was a bit of a bastard as a child. <laughs> we don't judge here. So, um, I grew up in northern Vermont, so I grew up in the country, in the mountains, and uh, yeah, I was just kind of a brat, to 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 say at the least. And um, the military kind of saved my life. I, I joined the, you know, I joined the Marine Corps a week after high school. Uh, I went to boot camp, and uh, I would definitely say that that saved saved my life because I was probably on a, a pretty dark path uh, with some big big ideas of what I thought my life would be like, and you know, knowing it all at 18 years old. So, you know, I spent a lot of time outside uh, in the mountains, uh, you know, hiking and running and whatnot. And then I, I, I played a lot of music. That was my life was playing the guitar and singing. And so, uh, uh, you know, through middle school and through high school, that's kind of what I did as, as, as played in ensembles and played in uh, concerts and whatnot. And that's what I thought I was going to do. And uh, it all changed when I went to boot camp and, and realized uh, that's probably not what's going to happen. <laughs> Um, what did, did you have a desire to do a music career instead of going to boot camp, and then that just kind of took the the path that you took, or was kind of the military always in the plans? Uh, no, the military was never in the plans. I studied music theory through high school, and then by my senior year, um, I had exceeded all the the books and knowledge that the at the school at the high school could give me. So I went to college my senior year. To study music theory and, and that was really easy so I was a cocky little brat and thought that I you know that I could get a scholarship or whatnot and I was planning to go to college to study music composition and performance and uh, a guy from the jazz band at school because I played guitar in the jazz band for the school and he uh, he taught me and to join the Marine Corps under the Marine enlisted uh, musician program so Going into the Marine Corps with the, the, at 18 years old in the 90s, thinking you're going to be a rock star, um, <laughs> which is, it's funny since I was a Marine Corps drill instructor, I it would have been funny for anybody music-wise music to come into the Marine Corps, the gun club, and think that you're going to be a rock star. You know, I kind of gave all that up and I got ridiculed pretty hard once they found out that I was a, came in to be a musician. Uh, so boot camp then combat training, pretty much ridiculed for that, and then didn't make it to the School of Music, uh, which is still just too young, too arrogant. Um, you know, I had a lot of knowledge because I had studied in, you know, advanced music, but it wasn't, uh, it was it was further than, than my ego. <laughs> and so uh, they said that it was, I wasn't going to make it, and they said, you could go home, and I said, there's no way I'm going home after all of this. Um, find another job, I'll do anything. And I was actually hoping to go military police, but I was still 18. You had to be 19 when you finished the school at the time. So they said, you're going to be a logistics guy. I said, okay, whatever that is. <laughs> and I did that for 20 years. <laughs> I stayed. <laughs> uh, so it, it gave me a lot of opportunities to go to a, a lot of places around the world and interact and, and, and grow up. Uh, but the Marine Corps, you know, you know, I learned real quick the, the consequences of, of your actions uh, from day one at boot camp. And that was uh, quite the pucker factor. 
Yeah, for sure. And um, from, I mean, I have no boot camp experience, but from everything that I've read and experienced and listened to people talk, you learn how your um, actions have consequences for others as well, not just yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You definitely don't want to be the one that causes everybody else to, uh, to, to be punished. For sure. So how long were you in the military before you then started doing your drill instructor type stuff? Was that fairly new or was it closer to retirement? Uh, no, it was, I would say it was when I was much, much younger. Uh, so let's see here, you know, I went overseas in, in 98, came back in 99 and then back again in 01. And while I was in uh, Japan, I remember uh, being influenced by a guy that was in my career field, a logistician that came back from the drill field. He had been a drill instructor and he was a martial art instructor trainer and he was teaching so, which means he makes people into martial arts instructors. Um, you can probably see some of my belts in the window uh, behind. So I, I was just really inspired by this guy. He was, you know, he was, he was fit. He was, you know, respected. Uh, he'd done things that were awesome. And, I, and, I, and he was training me to, for my first belt in martial arts. And, and I had decided, you know, because I was very very much by the books who would have thought that, you know, a little bastard of a child would have been a very book by the books person. So in uh, 2003, I became a martial arts instructor because I was influenced by this guy and I had the goal that I wanted to be a drill instructor and I wanted to be like him and I wanted to be a martial art instructor trainer. So 2003, I became a martial arts instructor. And then 2004, I went to, uh, to drill instructor school at Paris Island, South Carolina. And I did that for three years. I, I had eight platoons. And while I was there, um, I also became a martial art instructor trainer, a black belt instructor trainer. So yeah, I was fairly young, 25, 26, I think. I love it. I love, uh, I'm interested to know, because I'm a big believer that no matter what area um, you're intending to impact your life on, that getting out of your comfort zone, failing, um, being able to really challenge yourself is one of the requirements for success. Can you talk about how you saw kind of young kids that were coming in and you're a drill instructor and you're seeing them on that kind of boundary where they're not quite pushing themselves and then you're able to push them past that and what that was like for you? I'll back up and say that it was a difficult time because I, I did not have a good marriage. Uh, when I was in drill instructor school, I, I actually didn't want to finish. Um, and remember having a talk with my leadership and cause I was a young staff sergeant and I was used to being a leader and then, or at least I thought I was a, you know, a good leader and basically having them tell me like, you volunteer to come here. You're, you're going to finish. There is no quitting. Um, and that was probably the only time in my, in my career that I ever had an inclination to want to quit something, but it never went past that. It was a closed door conversation that basically told me just to, you know, you need to, you need to suck it up. You have what it takes to finish. You just need to, you know, suck it up. And, uh, you know, and it was, it was hard. Drills under school sucked. There's no doubt about that, but it gave me a, a good perspective when I um, became a drill instructor and it was a different time frame back then too. Um, Drill instructors were exceptionally hard on other drill instructors. We called it DIP, DI peer pressure. You know, if, okay. a recruit, if a recruit was doing something wrong, another drill instructor would kind of go by and basically tell him, like, you know, he wouldn't correct the recruit. He'd look at the recruit and go, it's not your fault, son. It's not your fault. You suck. 
it's his fault. And they point to the drill instructor. So there was a lot of peer pressure to, to have your recruits to be exceptional, to, to, you know, to be strong, to be fast, to be smart, uh, those different types of things. And so basically it was mental hazing is what we got a lot of, a lot of mental hazing, which was not the right way of doing it. And I remember having a few uh, conversations with other other drill instructors that wanted to, almost wanted to resort to violence because you get a whole bunch of type A guys that are loaded up on caffeine. This was before energy drinks, just loaded yeah. up on caffeine and sugar and being starved and you're running and screaming for 20 something hours a day and you get punished every time your recruits don't have things right. You, you get like, you get to be like a dog that gets beat by his master, but eventually turns back. It was, it was challenging. Um, to say the least. So I, I would say there's a big difference between my first half of my tour and my second half of my tour. And I know this is kind of a, a long answer to your question. No, I love it. Um, there was a change in mindset across the, the drill field due to some incidences that happened that changed recommended, like standing operating procedures, to become training orders, policies. In between my tour, I went to go become a martial arts instructor trainer and was really pushed into, you need to develop the people's minds. And so as a, you know, first I was a leader, I went to the drill field and it was destroy them, beat them down physically. I mean, not like literally beat them, but break their bodies down. So you're a junior drill instructor, that's your job, is just to, to punish all, every infraction you can find. And you got good at it. Because you had, you had to be good at it. And I was very good at it. Um, when I went to become an instructor trainer for martial arts, it was martial arts was about building the mind, the body, and the character. So mental, physical, and character discipline. And, you know, coming from a very sarcastic family, having a quick wit uh, and a mouth that would used to get you in trouble, um, you had to learn to build people up. And so I went back and decided it would be easy to destroy someone mentally and then build them up physically. Um, but better yet, if I could use psychology and sociology of what boot camp really is and to use that environment as a design to break the recruits down so they're all on one level playing field, regardless of where they came from. Because some kids come there, they're homeless. And this is all they got. And sometimes you got guys that are in their 30s, they're 32 or 33 years old, and they're right at the cutoff. And you know that they didn't come there because they were inspired to serve their country. I mean, September 11th happened, Afghanistan happened. I'm there in 2004. These guys are in their early 30s. They're not motivated to come there. To it's, This is the last chance they got. They got nothing. Uh, so as a young drill instructor, you're, you're, I mean, you're going to try to break them down but recruits can't quit. It's not like officer candidate school where you're, you're assessing leadership. You're there to teach discipline and instow the values of honor, courage, and commitment. And so that's really where I started to kind of change my mindset is I wanted to, to build a, a foundation and not just build something on top of garbage. I love it. Um, there's a couple of things I want to ask you based upon what you said that I think um, are really important. Can you talk about the difference that you saw in the um, 
response from people when you changed from this, um, let me just beat you down mentality to how can I build you back up as a leader and how that you've taken those skills into the rest of your life and what you do now as a business owner? Yeah, you know, I could say just from the, from the training those recruit standpoints, I've met a couple recruits from the first half of my tour there that have came out to me and, and just kind of said hello, you know, but I've met a lot from my second half. And those ones from my second half are, some of them became drill instructors themselves. Some of them have beautiful families and children. They're doing great. And I see pictures of them on Facebook and they connected. And I was very against uh, connecting with my troops um, until a buddy of mine told me that like, Ken, you got nothing to hide. You're not, you don't hang dirty laundry out. You're not a dirt bag. You know, they're, they're still looking to you for mentorship and leadership. So connect with them. It's not like you got to chat with them, but allows the door to be open once again. And uh, so it's, it's inspiring to see that maybe you had an impact by doing what you should have been doing for all, all along. That character discipline is a, is a forefront in everything I do. It's kind of like when you're driving down the road and you want to flip somebody off, that, does, that cuts you off. But you're just showing you know, in that moment of anger, in that moment of uh, frustration, you're showing your true character. And is that how you want it to be defined? You know, you can think it. I mean, everybody thinks bad things every once in a while, but it's whether you act on it or not. And it's harmless as it is. It's flipping somebody off, but it's still, it doesn't add anything to it. I 100% agree. Um, do you ever, I know getting into the what ifs is so hard, but do you ever think about, um, what would have happened had somebody let you walk out of that office and not continue on drilling on your drill instructor school? Are you, are you happy that you were able to go through that path and not, not quit rather than have um, kind of that what if regret in the background? Yeah, you know, absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind, you know, if, and I've ran into that Sergeant major a couple of times. It's not like he remembers the conversation, but you know, I, he, he was a first sergeant, I was a staff sergeant, and then years later, I was a master sergeant, he was a sergeant major, and, and you know, there we are at senior leadership things together. Um, and the conversation never come up, but I, I gladly, re, you know, greatly respected that conversation because it was, it was a hard thing. And then going, and, but DI school, drill instructor school was easy, easy compared to actually being a drill instructor. But you're there, you can't quit. Those recruits can't quit. Um, <laughs> And, you know, for three years, three, three months, every single day, every single day from 4 a.m. to 9, 10 p.m., I was with them nonstop from the time the lights went on to the time the lights went off. And I would tell my drone setters, and it, and it, was, it was the attitude that I, that I had. And it was, you know, it was from that conversation, I'm sure, was, you know, this may be your fifth platoon, but it's their only platoon. And we need yeah. to do it right. And, and I look at that when I interact with other people as often as I can is uh, an approach of more of servant leadership. That if you give them every opportunity to grow and show them how they have value, not that, you know, you're here to do a job. Yeah, you could say that. Or you could say, this is why you're here. And let me show you why you are so important to what we do in this organization. If you empower a drill instructor, if you empower a Marine, if you empower a person to allow them to grow as a person 
and as a professional, they will do so many great things for the organization. And when it's time for them to leave, because they've either it's time for them to go somewhere else and grow, or maybe they've exceeded what they can underneath your leadership, let them go and help them go. One hundred percent. And I think that more um, business owners and more leaders in all different fields need to be able to accept that. I know that I've worked for people in the past that have the your mind mentality, like I'm not going to let you go out and network. I'm not going to let you go out and grow because I don't want you to outgrow me. And there are so many business owners and leaders that have that mentality rather than saying, how can I get the best out of you right now? And if you outgrow me, then I've done my job. Some of the things that kind of changed my life with that, when I left the drill field, I, my vocabulary changed a lot, but my mindset was that I wanted to grow people and I had to learn how to talk to people. And one of the very first books I remember reading um, about a year or two after I left the drill field and I was still trying to adjust it. I was sitting in a tent somewhere in Thailand and I had deplo- uh, downloaded uh Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And that was a, that book changed my life. And because and I, I, I was going through and kind of highlighting the different things and I would test them out. I'd spend a couple of days testing out different principles in there. And I ended up reading all of Dale Carnegie's books. And then I got into John C. Maxwell's books, all his books on leadership. And, and then I started to teach those types of things. And next thing you know, I was, te- you know, I was guest speaking at different graduations for leadership courses and seminars and stuff like that. And I would, you know, put that type of value-based training into anything and everything that I did and try to put it to use. And and Maxwell talks about, you know, a scale of one to 10, you may be a six as far as a leader, and that's fine. You're going to influence all the people below you that are a five. In the military, you might have some below you that that is actually an eight on leader, but because of your billet, your positional authority, they're junior to you. You could still learn from them. You could still grow from them. And then when it's time for them to go, let them go so they can reproduce what you were able to teach them. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, the important thing is being able to have that mentality to be willing to grow from somebody that's technically supposed to be underneath you. And and I think any leadership mentality and any leadership position, you should be learning from the people that you're leading as much as they are learning from you. I'm curious to know, when did your your love for nutrition come into play? Was that when you started getting into the fitness type stuff? Or did that kind of follow you through into the military career? No, I actually struggled with weight for a few years in the military because uh, I got married really early and realized that I could actually taste something and cook and recreate it, cook it. I had a very good sense of taste and, and immediate direction in the kitchen. So I gained a lot of weight. I think I gained like probably 40 or 50 pounds. And for a short guy, that's a lot. Um, so I struggled with weight for years. And being a drill instructor, you, you don't struggle with weight because you're running and screaming all the time. So your weight's really low. Um, but when I went to become a martial arts instructor trainer, we had to learn a little bit about nutrition because we had to teach basic nutrition. And I decided when I went back and I was in charge of the platoon that I would make the recruits eat instead of starving them just to be a jerk and, you know, one more thing to punish them. Um, I would make them all eat. And I would actually make my drill instructors go eat. And I'd tell them, you leave the recruits alone. I will watch them. 
and I would make them all go through the line. Pick even the ones that were really heavy. I'd nope, you go back and get some food. And then I would give them all the opportunity, even if it would cost me time later on. But they were sick less, they recovered faster, and they were very strong, very, very strong. And I decided at that time, and that was about 2006 or 2007, that I wanted to be a dietitian. And it took a long, long, long time because I was active duty the entire time to, to make that come to fruition. You know, I don't think people realize how much goes into actually understanding what a person needs for their diet based upon their lifestyle. I know I certainly didn't. And so there's there's a huge need for people like yourself that are actually educated in this area to be able to help, especially performance athletes, but just the regular mom and pop type person that wants to accomplish something. We're all trying these different bad diets and and they're not working because they're not individualized based upon what you actually need yeah absolutely and there's a lot of people out there that have some general knowledge and they can kind of fudge their way through helping people but the problem is they can also scare them because they have know absolutely nothing about counseling behavioral theories or have a clue on how to actually read and interpret science and so they're going to jump on what they saw on the internet. It might've worked for them. They had no idea that it might be hurting them in the long run, you know, 10, 20 years down the road. So they push it on their clients and the clients might have, you know, really good improvements until they go back to eating the way they did before because they never learned anything. They were just told to follow something. Yeah, absolutely. And from somebody who has struggled my entire life with this up and down cycle, I can completely relate to that. Um, when we met and you had all this like fantastic food, I was like, there's no way that what he's going to feed makes you're like, this is great. It's got all this protein in it and it's like so healthy. And I'm like, those are two words that I don't use in food that I eat. So <laughs> when you gave it to me and it tastes good, I was like, maybe this guy's onto something, man. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you were like, there's rice in it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> there's no bad food. There really isn't. It's, it's just, it's, you know, proper portions to, to what you need. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have this um, ridiculous span of fitness, Ironmans, world's toughest mutter, tough mutters that you've ran that's just completely impressive. Did was that something that kind of replaced the fitness you were getting in the military or what got you into those events? Uh, well, I got into, I, I, I decided I, I really liked to run. Um, so, you know, I got into running and then I remember coming back from overseas uh, from being stationed there for like four years, came back in 2013 and everybody's doing obstacle course races. And I laughed at that. I'm like, really? obstacle course races what is this and 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 they describe it as like i've been doing that for umpteen years in the military uh i'll go give it a shot it's like no one's shooting at you i don't have to carry a weapon there are no there's no penalties for you know not finishing in a certain amount of time or whatever i'm like yeah sure why not and come to find out that people are paying to do military stuff no and they think it's the greatest thing in the world it's like okay um so I started doing the obstacle course races because it was the same thing I was doing in the military. Um, and I got to be around people that actually wanted to do it, not complain during the entire thing. Uh, so that was a lot of fun for me. Um, 
very, it was still the exact same thing I did just without a weapon. Uh, and, and so I, I helped a few people out, you know, in, in the Tough Mudder and in the Spartan community with nutrition and sports nutrition along the way. I am, ended up buying a bike to kind of keep my endurance up and kind of keep some of the pounding off my legs as, as I was training for Worlds the first year, the Worlds Tough Mudder the first year. And then I realized I loved, uh, loved riding the bike. And my wife gave me a bunch of crap because she'd been trying to get me on a bike for years. Uh, so I figured, you know, if I'm going to be a sports dietitian someday, then I needed to, you know, me try some triathlons, me try some marathons, some ultra races. And that way I can put the science to practice in my own use. And that way I can tell people, yes, I know the science. Yes, I know how to counsel it. And yes, I've done it myself. Uh, so that's kind of why I've done all these races that I have. Some I like more than others. Um, I, I love the Tough Mudder races. I probably will never do another one again. Um, not because of injury uh, relates, uh, though I have injuries that will never heal. It aggravates them if I do them too much. Um, but because the locations that they put a lot of these races at have way too much contaminations around them, pollutants, and uh, I've gotten a few skin infections from that. And that puts me down for a long time for training, not just from having to heal up, but from having to take medications to get to clear it up. Um, and as a dietitian, I don't like to take, um, antibiotics for sure. It, it destroys your gut and, and drops your immune system. So, uh, I just decided it's just not worth it. So for sure. Stick with triathlons and running. Yeah, that's, that's, um, interesting that you say that because I know that we always have those conversations in the community about, you know, different issues that go on throughout the races. Um, I love the Tough Mudder races as well. I'm glad I did World's Toughest Mudder, but I never want to put my body through that again. I'm like, what's the point in doing this for 24 hours? Like I'll do regular ones, but I don't see the purpose in putting myself through 24 hours. I needed to tell myself I could do it and I needed to show myself I could do it. And now I don't want to do it again. <laughs> You know, and I think that's kind of the beauty of those types of events. Uh, I know a lot of the military guys and veterans do it because it's something that's very close to what they did and they feel that bond and connection. Uh, and I felt that with a lot of the people that I became friends with through World's Toughest Mudder, I, I felt that, that bond and connection. That was very similar to the, the one you have in the military. Uh, I haven't found anything else out there that is like that uh, except, for, except for coaching and teaching. But it's that shared adversity. Uh, but Worlds was never, it, for me, it was just a thing. Uh, it was never about uh, a challenge because I'd, I'd, I had already done worse and longer. Uh, so it was just, it was a check in the box for something fun to do. Um, so I don't, again, I'm not doing it because of, you know, potential uh, risk of skin contamination for me. Um, but like, like you, it's not something, I don't need to prove anything. So why, why put myself through that type of abuse with that risk of injury uh, when I have no need to prove anything? Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about the mental toughness that you relied on in doing some of these races that you said you didn't enjoy as much as others? Was there ever a time that you wanted to quit during a race and then you pushed through that and what that experience was like for you? You know, I don't think I've ever wanted to quit during a race. Uh, I think the military, because I had so many times in the military where they didn't care if you were spitting up blood or if your limb was hanging off, you just had to keep going. I mean, the job had to get done and it was going to get done whether you were there or not. 
but the perception of people around you would be changed if you pussyfooted out. So um, you didn't want to be the one in the vehicle if you couldn't make it on a hike, and you certainly didn't want to be the one that couldn't finish uh, something. So it was it was suck it up. So every race I've ever done, never in my mind, even when I did World's Toughest Mudder in 2015, which was god-awful cold, uh, and people went down for hypothermia and, and got dropped, I, I never in my mind thought about quitting. Usually what in those moments where I know it sucks extremely bad, and you do the smart things of you know, resting where you need to, to, to take care of yourself, uh, I've always had the mindset of when it's my hardest, when my body is beating down and my mind says, you shouldn't be here, um, that's the point where you need to keep going because that's where somebody else is already quit and they're just waiting for a sign to tell them to walk off. And then they see you. They don't know you're about to quit. They don't know it's in your mind that you hate you hate what you that decision you made to be there in, in that cold or in that freezing or whatnot. So you continue to push. And you don't know that you influenced them, but you did. And so I've always had that mindset and I've always told people at your weakest, darkest points in the hard times, when you push through, you inspire someone and you'll never know it, but you might save their life later on because of it. 100%. That's so powerful. So powerful. So you are the CEO and you created your business of top performance and nutrition. Um, what do you do in that? What um, types of people do you work with? And um, kind of tell everybody a little bit about that. Okay. Uh, so it's top nutrition and performance. Um, I, I always wanted to have a facility of my own throughout the military. That was always my, my decision. And that was really hard when I went through my internship because I pissed off a lot of preceptors, um, having some old guy that already knew half the stuff they were trying to teach them. And when they'd ask you what you're going to do when you finish your internship, like you're going to come work at the hospital. And I'm like, nope, I actually have a business already. Um, because I had this business the entire time and I was coaching uh, throughout. So ideally it is, it's, it's meant to work with endurance athletes. So I work with cyclists, runners, uh, triathletes, uh, ultra racers, obstacle course racers. Um, some are local, some are, some are virtual coaching. And that's kind of where the premise of it is, where I wanted to provide science-based, evidence-based coaching the right way with nutrition, uh, should they want to add on the full nutrition to it and to make sure that they had everything they possibly needed to be successful in my, What I use all the time is, the, is my Garmin analogy. Um, I do this when I'm doing nutrition counseling. I do this when I do training. Nobody can make you drive the car. Nobody can make you go to the finish. But when you put in the route that you want to go in, in your Garmin and whatever map you're using, it's going to give you the no kidding way there. It's not going to tell you how to fly there. You're not going to drive through someone's house to get there. It's going to tell you the exact route, proven, to, proven way to get there. Shoot, and you're, but you're the one that has to make the decision to drive. If you make a wrong turn or you decide you're going to take a different route or even stop somewhere in route, what does Garmin do? It recalculates. And so that's, that's what I tell all of my clients, all my athletes, is I will tell you exactly how to get there and what options you have so you can make informed decisions. And along the way, it's always going to be up to you to make the decisions and to turn. And I will give you the science in the way that you understand it. 
so that's kind of the premise of the business. We also offer uh, strength training here. Um, I have a physical therapist that works for me, so she's a doctor of physical therapy. So when I do strength training and I do movement screens on people to see if they have any uh, dysfunctions and movements or, or patterns that don't work as they should, um, I will give them corrective exercises so we can fix those so they don't injure themselves by compensating somewhere else. It's kind of like an eye exam for the body that I do. Uh, and in those, if I find something that's beyond my scope of practice as a, as a trainer, as a coach, uh, as corrective exercise, or if there's any evidence of pain, then my physical therapist uh, takes over to work with them so we can get them back into training. Uh, so my, my vision is, has been to have a, uh, a facility that is the kind of premier uh, nutrition and performance. Uh, so we, I do track and field classes. I have a high school triathlon team that I coach. I've got all the different types of adult athletes. I still teach martial arts because I can't give that up. So I teach kickboxing, teen kickboxing, pre-teen kickboxing. Uh, I also teach a class called Wing Chun for Seniors, which is kind of like Tai Chi. Um, so I have a woman in her late 60s that does the forms of this Chinese martial arts that I teach her, uh, which has been very therapeutic for her both physically and, uh, and mentally. So, you know, it's just about promoting wellness where they're at and where they want to be the right way. I love it. I... Um grew up doing some martial arts in high school. And I would say that the anybody who can get into any type of martial arts training with the right type of instructor should definitely do it because there's really very few things that put you in the right mindset like that does. Absolutely. Uh, last week I taught uh, the first preteen class that I started. I've taught little children before, but uh, eight years old and he's learning to box uh, from me. And so it's a 45 minute class. And, you know, we go through the basics, the fundamentals, the hitting. And he's like, I want to hit the heavy bag. I'm like, not until you learn how to hit right. Uh, and, and, uh, and then I ended the class um, with a tie-in. I like to end physical training with a mental or character tie-in. To tie-in what we did to allowing you to build their mind and their character. And the word was courtesy. And so I'd asked him about courtesy. And we defined it and we talked about how as a fighter, as a warrior, we need to be a gentleman too. And that means not just in the ring, but out of the ring, on the playground and at home as well. How can we demonstrate courtesy throughout our life? Uh, and that was with an eight-year-old. Yeah, it's amazing to me. And honestly, we look at these people and as we've learned more about the way that the brain works and the way that language affects how successful you can be and the roadblocks that you see in your own success. And we're now using those on kids, eight, nine, 10 and up. Like those kids are going to grow up to do things that we could never even imagine because they have the mindset set from such a young age. Absolutely. I, I love it when parents are in there, when I do these types of things, because it brings, it brings it home to them as well. You know, they're like, they, they know that the trainer's not just there to make their kids sweat and learn how to hit something, but, it wants to develop them as a person. Absolutely. And they almost need to be there because you could do all of this and then send them home to parents who don't know any better and are undoing what you've just done through the language that they're using at home. Yeah, absolutely. So it's always great when you have, when I have some, you know, parents that want to sit in and watch the class. Um, I've had a few times parents have ended up taking training with me because of what they saw happen to their children or their spouse. 
I love it. You know, the thing I like about what you just said in the story or the um, business model that you've made is that you're kind of a unicorn in the fact that you have the physical background, you have the dietitian background, you understand the mental background of it, and you're really dedicated to putting this place where people can work on all three of those areas at the same time, rather than having three individual people that these that they need to work with. And that's so awesome to me. I um, think that you're going to do some amazing things with that. Well, thank you. That, I was, that's definitely what I was going for, uh, is to have something where people don't need to go all over to look at different people. Um, and, when, and, if, and if I know that someone exceeds my current skill level, even if I have the, the degrees and the licenses to do it, if they're, it, it, I may refer them to someone else that may be able to help them faster uh, or better. And, and I've turned clients away because of that. Um, but I'm always transparent with them. Like, look, I can help you or I can do this with you, but I do know someone that's closer to you or that can do it better. Let me refer them to you. And I usually get a lot of shocked looks, uh, oh. maybe it's because I'm retired and, and I can, I'm doing this business cause I love it and not because I need the money. Um, not that I'm well off at any means, but having a pension being retired does give you a little bit of security so you can really build people and not be at risk of, uh, of failure. It's it failure is now more personal than financial. Yeah. And I, I mean, the thing is, is that works, um, inversely because you, you send these people to somebody else because that's what's best for them. And in return, you get more back because they're so surprised to see somebody that would actually take what they need. And, you know, unfortunately, and people are used to having somebody just say, okay, come and give me your business and we'll figure it out. It's very rare for somebody to hear somebody say, okay, I'm not the best person for you. Let me get you in touch with the person who is. And the individuals who are willing to say that get more back in return than they give. I like to think so. I, I like to think that it's kind of like Miracle on 31st Street, the old one. If you're familiar with that old black and white, yeah. uh, you know, Santa Claus was referred people down the street and the, the little old woman's just like, I don't know what you guys got going on here for a scam or whatnot, but I love it. You know, putting the, putting the spirit of Christmas and children above your own monetary needs. And I've kind of just taken that to heart that it, it hasn't always been my goal to serve. And, and let me build people and serve how I can. And if somebody can do it better, then let them and let me send them in the direction. And it'll come back one way or another, it'll come back and I'll get people that want to be here or that, that I can help. That's amazing. So we've talked about a lot of things um, already. We've talked about failure and comfort zones and um, you have so many experiences in that, but I want to kind of move into this idea of success. Um, can you talk about what success means to you and how your definition of success has changed throughout the different experiences in your life? Sure. Um, you know, I think a lot of times people think success means money and power or, or, or achievements. And I think it's hard to quantify success with figures and tangibles. Um, you know, going through the military, you pick up rank, you pick up more money, you get more position, and position means essentially more power. But I, I, I learned years ago that in leadership that nobody is going to listen to you just because they have to listen to you. They're going to listen to you because they have given you permission to to lead them 
and that they want to follow you because of what you can do for them or what you're doing for them in the organization or developing them. And so I, I, I learned you know, years ago that success was not about the mission. It was about the people. And if I could grow the people, that was fulfilling to me. If I could develop people into a better version of themselves, not because I wanted to change them, but because they wanted to change and I could help them, then the mission would be taken care of. I like it. Um, do you think that there's a difference between success and fulfillment or do you think that they go hand in hand? I think it still kind of comes back to what, what someone feels as what they, they think success is. Uh, I think if you're chasing numbers, if you're chasing money, if you're chasing power or position, then you're never going to be fulfilled. You're always going to be looking for the next thing. Um, so I think if you can find fulfillment, then you will consider yourself to be successful regardless of how much money you have or position or, or influence. I love it. So chase the fulfillment and the success will come. We, we, we look at it so different most of the time, chase success and I'll feel better. I'll feel better when this happens. Um, and if we just flipped that around, it would be so much easier. I think if you chase fulfillment, then you will redefine what you believe success is. 100%. All right. So before we end, um, I just want to ask you um, a few random round questions. Let everybody get to know you a little bit, if you're cool with that. Sure. All right. So other than what you're doing now, and you've done so much, but other than what you're doing now, what profession do you think would be fun to attempt? I was thinking about uh, that. Because I've done so many different things, it, it's kind of hard to really narrow that one down. Um, you know, music would have been would have been a cool thing to do, but I got a lot of opportunities to try different things in the military and, and whatnot. So I really, really can't think of a different profession. I like it. Doing what you love. If you could time travel, where would you go and why? I would go forward. Um, and, and the reason why I would want to go forward into the future is I would like to see if science and ideologies and if things have kind of mellowed out if things have you know settled if if uh we're less disease less arguing less less war less uh less stressing over the ridiculous things um i just like to see if outcomes are better um many people think that or many people say that these are the same thing but is what personality trait has been the most important to you and most helpful to you? And then what personality trait has gotten you in the most trouble? I would say tenacity has always been, uh, you know, a key for me that uh, quitting is not an option. And then if I, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to stick to it and I'm going to, I'm going to push through it. I mean, it took me 19 years to get a bachelor's degree because I was deployed other than the three years I was a drill instructor, I was pretty much deployed for 20 years. Um, so one way or another, I was going to finish something. Tenacity uh, would be it. Sarcasm would probably be the one that's always kind of got me in trouble. Um, I grew up in a sarcastic family. Sarcastic is my first language. Um, you know, I love the here's your sign and, you know, stupid people. I, I love to watch people. And I have, my wife is, you've met my wife. She's a classical musician. She's very, uh, very reserved. Uh, we are polar opposites because of that. Uh, and when we met, I had just left the drill field and my filter was not there yet. So she taught me how to have a filter 
and she's still not surprised when things come out of my mouth. But because of that sarcastic nature, I can honestly tell people that 95% of the things that I say, if they shock you or surprise you, uh, I actually thought about it first. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's truth to almost everything, right? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned um, an amazing book, um, How to Win and or how to win friends and influence people, which um, I think people should be reading every year. You take something different out of it every time you read it. I love that book. Well, are you reading anything now that's really inspiring you? You know, right now I'm, I'm kind of uh, in between books because I've got a few books on like exercise and how it actually uh, improves neuro brain neuroplasticity. So it grows, it grows new brain cells and whatnot. Uh, so, and, and based, and also it's kind of like decision making things. So I've got a few books that I'm, that are shelved at home on my nightstand. Uh, but right now I'm kind of working on some curriculum for adolescents with eating disorders. So that's kind of taking up a lot of my time is to learn that new skill set to help. I love it. And I saw your post about that, by the way, and like, God bless you for doing that because it's so needed. So hopefully you can make a big impact in that area. Thank you. Um, so before we go, what um, morning routine do you have that sets you up for your day? Well, I, I've always been a list person. So uh, I always make lists and look at lists in the morning. Um, being a new entrepreneur and being kind of slightly OCD, uh, it, it's been a challenge uh, because I like to train, I like to work out. Uh, so mm, I have a schedule and I live by a schedule and that, that helps me out. I know what I need to do and when I need to do it. But, uh, you know, as, as you create a business, you, you learn what people want. So you're constantly changing the times you're teaching certain classes, events or counseling and those types of things. So it's constantly changing my schedule. Uh, so my schedule really depends on, the, on what day. I mean, I'll get up, I'll have something to eat. I have a cup of coffee, not because I need it, but because I like the taste of it. And then usually I'm out the door either to go work out or to come to the office and coach. I like it. All right. So where can people track you down if they want to find you on social media? Uh, so they can go, if they're on Facebook, uh, they can look up top nutrition performance. They can see me on there. Um, and then I also have a, uh, an Instagram uh, page as well, which is top nutrition and performance. They can see that page there. Or they, if they really want to see uh, more about me and not my business and they want to see my dogs, then they can, uh, they can see me and my dogs on uh, Chronicles of the Dietitian on, uh, on Instagram as well. So. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing some insight into kind of your history and where you're going now and how um, comfort zones and failure and all that has impacted what you've done. Because I think it's important for people to hear that. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me, Amber. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.